let's welcome to this Christmas episode of The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred texts have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, and in liberation? We are building up a new world. Dr. Vincent Harding's song works pretty well for a Christmas carol, don't you think? We are building up a new world. This live recording of Dr. Harding's song for the freedom movement is of a multiracial group of activists and musicians here in Denver, Colorado, who come together occasionally for movement choir practice to bring singing back into direct actions and other movement spaces. This particular choir practice is from December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply fr- grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap back with you again today. I'm a UCC pastor in the place currently called Denver, Colorado, here on Cheyenne and Arapaho land, and the faith coordinator for Showing Up for Racial Justice, or SURGE, nationally. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith and is particularly designed for white people, white people talking to other white people about race and white supremacy. We believe white people like us, like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy where we find it, including in our own Christian tradition. We'd love to hear from you, and especially from folks of color, about how we're doing. The word is resistance. of Christmas songs and carols I like. Basically, if Mahalia Jackson or Jesse Norman is singing it, it's my favorite. But for me, it's not Christmas until I've sung Angels We Have Heard on High. Here's a little story about why. Way back in December of 1972, when I was about two and three quarters years old, I got very sick with croup. 
So sick I ended up in the hospital in an oxygen tent because I had so much trouble breathing. My parents were quite scared and members of the church took care of them and took care of my little brother who would have been about six months old. It was close to Christmas and my mother, the organist at the church, says she practiced Christmas carols crying, wondering if I would be okay. I was very sick. And even the oxygen tent wasn't enough because finally at one point, on December 20th, I actually stopped breathing. My skin began turning a scary blue. I was rushed to surgery where I had a tracheotomy. You've probably seen these on hospital TV shows where somebody cuts a hole in the person's throat and puts a tube in so they can breathe. Well, that was me at age two. Tall Dr. Hicks and Dr. Johnny Price cut that hole and saved my life. You can still see the little scar at the notch where my collarbones meet. My parents didn't know if the lack of oxygen had caused any brain damage until I woke up and could talk about the rocking horse ornament brought to my hospital room by elders in the church and hung on the bed rail. I could name what it was and the colors and that's how they knew I was going to be okay. I don't remember any of this, which is probably a good thing, but I've known this story my whole entire life because every year afterwards we hung that ornament on the Christmas tree and my parents would tell the story. The ornament is hanging on our tree still. It's always the first one I hang up and we still take a moment to feel that gratitude for being alive. I don't remember any of it, being sick, nearly dying, waking up. I was little, only two years old. But I will tell you what I do remember. I remember one day, not long after, in our trailer out by UAM, the small state university where my dad taught in Monticello, Arkansas. I remember I was sitting on the edge of the bathtub, all by myself. So I know this is my memory, not someone else's I was told, or a photograph that feels like a memory. No, it's my memory. The light was golden, and I was singing, and feeling and hearing the air whistling through the hole in my throat. They left it open to heal on its own, you see. I was singing, Gloria in excelsis Deo. And my breath whistled through the hole in the throat that saved my life. That's what I remember. It's my very first memory. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? Say what may the tidings be which inspire your heavenly song. Glory! 
So, yeah, it's not Christmas until I've sung this carol, preferably with a big pipe organ and an enthusiastic congregation singing all the harmony on the Gloria part. The Glorias are the best part, right? In fact, they are such the best part that I have sort of forgotten that this carol is really about the shepherds. In fact, it's a carol sung by the shepherds, with verse 2 that I just sang, talking back to them, asking them what they're going on about. Shepherds, why this jubilee? These are our shepherds in Luke chapter 2, one of the gospel readings for Christmas, and a part of the story we may think we know pretty well. The chapter opens with another of Luke's clear efforts to locate this story in a political historical context. Caesar has demanded everyone register so that they could be taxed. So Joseph and Mary head from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and the text is pretty straight to the point about Jesus' actual birth. It's time for him to be born. He's actually born. Mary wraps him in a cloth and lays him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. And that's it. All in one verse. Even in those few details, though, Luke lets us know how vulnerable this little family is, having to migrate with a mother close to term, no family to put them up when they arrive, no financial means to assure they have a decent place to stay. Luke doesn't give us much time to ponder how the family manages under these conditions, because we move from the manger right to the fields where certain poor shepherds are at work, tending to their flocks. They're on the night shift, these shepherds, probably extra vigilant and protective, guarding against predators, both human and animal. So I'm sure it really was frightening at first for there to be an angel and glory shining and this voice telling them to not be afraid. I never really noticed before, but Luke spends way more time with the shepherds than he does with Jesus being born. Maybe I haven't noticed because in our churches we spend way more time with Jesus getting born than with the shepherds getting the good news. Understandably so. Obviously, we want to celebrate this birth so the emphasis on our pageantry is there. And yet, maybe Luke is trying to tell us something here by spending so little time on the birth and so much glory on the shepherds. Maybe Luke wants to make clear, really clear, who the good news of this birth is for. Let's go back to that bit about Caesar's order that all the world, which is to say all the empire, had to register to be taxed. Taxes were how the empire filled its pockets and was rife with abuse and exploitation. It was also a way that Rome demonstrated its power and its infiltration and repression of poor and vulnerable conquered communities. Jews in Palestine in Roman imperial times consistently resisted paying taxes to Caesar, in part because it meant paying tribute to a man who thought he was God, a.k.a. Caesar, a violation of the first commandment, and also because of the extractive exploitation of Roman taxation which was ruinous to local communities. Rome came down hard on Jewish resistance, and this included the Roman conquest of Palestine right around the time we think Jesus was born, and also again around the time the Gospel of Luke would have been written. Conquest by Rome looked like slaughter 
and the conquered being carried off into enslavement, and the imposition of Roman rule and control on local people. All of this under the banner of Caesar, the, quote, son of God, the, quote, savior, who brought peace, the Pax Romana, a peace obtained and enforced through military might and economic exploitation. So when Luke names Caesar and Quirinius and the tax registration, it's not just a nice little historical detail to give the Jesus story some flavor. There's no way the mention of this would not have had a visceral reaction in anyone hearing the story, especially anyone who had lived through the repeated destruction of Palestine and Jerusalem by Rome. A Palestinian Jew would have known that trauma in their bones. One thing we know about that kind of oppressive violence is that it most impacts those already vulnerable in society. Women and children, poor folks, queer folks, those considered by the oppressors as foreign or other or conquered. The most vulnerable is precisely to whom the angels appear in Luke's story of Jesus getting born. A barren older woman a poor teenage girl, a bunch of poor working-class shepherds. The good news of Jesus being born comes to those most vulnerable to Rome's violence. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Shepherds are poor working-class folks. It's hard, tough, sometimes dangerous, and quite likely smelly work. It's important to say they were not considered outcast or impure by Jews, contrary to a lot of common thinking. That's an anti-Jewish take to say that they were marginalized because Judaism says they're impure. That's actually not true. Shepherds were valued members of the community, though it is true that economically they were mostly poor workers, the peasant class, and as such they were looked down upon, but not by the common people, by the wealthy and the elite and they definitely would have been targets for exploitation, just like shepherds are today within the Roman imperial system. Already in a vulnerable position economically, they would have been hit hard by Roman taxation. Additionally, I can imagine that when Roman troops swept through the countrysides to conquer and squash resistance, the shepherds, alone or in small groups and far from their homes, would have been easy targets for violence for being kidnapped into enslavement, for their flocks being slaughtered or stolen. Shepherds, why this jubilee? It matters that the good news of Jesus' birth comes to the shepherds first, to those most vulnerable to Rome's wrath first. This isn't Rome's good news that Evangelion, the evangel announcing Caesar's latest victory to keep peace in order, the good news that was really only good for those at the top, those with power. This is good news for the most vulnerable. A child from among the most vulnerable will be a savior for the most vulnerable, a child so vulnerable his crib is a manger, the feeding trough these very same shepherds would have known so well. That's the sign that Jesus is just like them, vulnerable to the empire just like them. 
That's how they know. And they become the first evangelists, running to see Jesus and then telling everyone what they saw, what the angels told them, and what they themselves know in their own bodies and souls. Shepherds, why this jubilee? As I've worked on this, I've thought a lot about what might be good news for these shepherds, why they might jubilee. Perhaps it's imagining a world where they're compensated fairly for their work, where they aren't exploited and looked down on by the wealthy because maybe there are no wealthy, where they aren't targets of Rome's violence, where they can just tend their flocks and be a part of their communities in safety without fear. It might not be fair for me, a middle-class white person benefiting from the violence of the U.S. empire, to guess what might be good news for first-century shepherds. Nevertheless, the shepherds, I think, know the same thing Mother Mary sings about in the Magnificat. She has shown strength with her arms. She has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. She has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. She has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. That, that is good news for lowly shepherds. A savior who is one of us, who knows what it is like to be us, who will know what is needed to turn the world to justice for those most vulnerable to Rome's wrath. Gloria in excelsis Deo. cannot separate the story of Jesus' birth from the absolute terror with which Rome ravaged Jewish Palestine. Let me say that again. We cannot separate the story of Jesus' birth from the absolute terror with which Rome ravaged Jewish Palestine. The Shepherd's Jubilee is tied to real material relief that comes into imagination with the arrival of this child who is just like them. What does this mean for us as white folks in the 21st century? As I said, I'm not sure as a middle-class white U.S. citizen I quite get to decide what good news is for those most vulnerable to the violence of the system we live in. However, what we can practice as white people, especially middle and upper-class folks, is listening to what those most vulnerable are telling us is good news for them. What, for example, is good news for Central Americans fleeing U.S.-sponsored violence. What are they trying to tell us? What would Jubilee mean for them? And then, are we ready to do what it takes, all of us together, to center and work towards that vision, live inside that imagination, follow those saviors? Because notice, the good news is for all the people. Yes, it comes to the shepherds first. It comes to the most vulnerable. And also, it is meant for all of us. To paraphrase the Kambai River Collective statement, when the shepherds get free, it means we will all get free. 
What if we talked about that over our Christmas dinners? When you sing Angels We Have Heard on High this Christmas, and I really hope you do, with all the glorious harmonies on the Glorias, remember we are singing in the voice of the shepherds. May we live in such a way that brings them jubilee. Thanks as always for joining me from wherever you are on this good earth. Let us know how your action and reflection goes. We'd love to hear from you by commenting on our SoundCloud or Facebook pages. We're taking next week off. We hope you get to as well. And then Haven Heron will be with you in the new year with a resistance word for epiphany. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search on The Word is Resistance. You can interact with us there too if you have questions or need help with action ideas. Transcripts are available as well on our website, which include references, credits, and copyright information. Finally, a huge thanks as always to our sound editor this week, Maxwell Pearl. Max has done two podcasts for us this week, so even more thanks and love to you, Max. Christmas blessings to you in all that you do to resist injustice and in all that you do to build up a new world. Love and liberation, beloveds. Love and liberation. Until next time, I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Yeah.